0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share. With your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr.
1: Funkenstein. One, two,
2: three, four. Testing
1: again? We're testing. I come from
2: a land down in La, where women grow and men make software. Can you hear? Can you hear the thunder? Oh yeah. Cause Riley's coming. This company's called Edla. <laughs> That's
1: heard,
0: gotta be the worst intro in ever, Jeremy.
1: Well. Well. Shocking.
2: <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so, anyways, anyways. Timothy. Wow. Sure. Um, it's been a long time. I, I wanna say it has been a month plus.
0: Has it been, it's certainly beginning of November was our last recording session.
2: It's amazing. It's been almost a month. In that time, you went to,
0: where you go? I went to UAE, Abu Dhabi, and uh, Dubai. And then Thanksgiving happened. And then you, of course, went on sabbatical there for, what, a week or so, right?
2: Yeah, I was on a retreat. No, no phones, no screens, anything like that for eight days, which was cathartic. But it hasn't changed my propensity or desire to apparently sing and butcher a song in honor of our guest today.
0: I'm just, I'm just, I'm really worried that we just offended all of Australia with that, uh, with the cliche song down under, uh, oh, I'm just mean. worried we offended everybody. There's, there's plenty this of guys like uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a, this guy's a star too, Tim, we're, we're going to get into, into all of this. Um, but I, yeah, I just wanted to say, Tim, I, I appreciate you. I know I told you this when I got out of the podcast session. The podcast itself has been a huge um, positive for me. Um, I think it's been great for, I mean, at least a lot of people that come up to me and say they really appreciate us doing the podcast. So it was nice. Like, I think it was good for us to take a little bit, a little bit of a break. And now I looked and this is going to be like the 82nd episode, which is crazy. Is like,
0: I, I never would have thought that it's amazing that we're still doing this, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, and it, I'm reminded all the time by when people will pull out nuggets from something that we said in a podcast and wow, people are actually listening to this thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was just on the digital wildcatters, um, oil and gas startups podcast, which was really fun. It's fun to see yourself on somebody else's too. And just the way they interact and how you are as a guest, cause it's much different, right? The, this show, like we do significantly less of the talking, but, um, except for apparently today when I'm the only one that's going to talk. <laughs> so, Riley O'Donnell's my guy. He's, yeah, this is going to change. So, Riley is an award winner. Tim, this is a question, no judgment if the answer is no. Are you familiar with Y Combinator?
0: Y Combinator? Absolutely not. No idea what that is.
2: Well, Y Combinator is something that Riley is going to get into and briefly describe, right? as it weaves into his life. But before we get into the professional, Riley, because you and I have mostly dealt on a professional level, tell us a little bit about yourself growing up in Australia, your path through university, um, working for some of the majors uh, in, on the engineering side of things, building out tech and, and what got you to today?
1: Sure. Um, I guess always been in Australia. It's a great place to live. Awesome weather, awesome people, big country. Great surf, great beaches. Everyone should come and visit Australia, boost, uh, boost the tourism, come back after we COVID because we uh, oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we're still not letting people into the country or out really. Um, but uh, I actually didn't know I wanted to do engineering until kind of like second year of uni. So I actually went into uni not basically through eliminating what I didn't want to do, didn't want to be a lawyer, didn't want to be a doctor. Seems like engineering's a good option. Engineering or finance, so did chemical engineering, finance as a dual degree, got exposure to investment banking, got exposure to the engineering side, realized I really liked building solutions or, or technology to solve problems that people are having. and so just ended up diving way deeper down that aspect of it. so um, wound up across a variety of spaces like some bioprocess stuff, some lithium plant design. Um, and then, of course, oil and gas. Um, and that's sort of how I wound up starting Endler was basically that in uh, the the two big companies I was working for, I ended up doing a lot of internal software development there and realized that there was big gaps. And uh, it sort of saw what was happening in the software world in terms of the exciting stuff and the rapid improvement in, in rate that people are able to uh, solve new and challenging problems thanks to all the sort of tools that are popping up around software engineers and kind of imagine a future in process or heavy industries where um, engineers really have auto design and auto optimization and and auto analytics um, type tool set around them that really enhance their productivity and also mean they get to work on the harder and more interesting problems rather than the sort of mundane that so many people end up having to do day to day
0: So well, I mean, I guess you you went to I mean, I'm just looking at your profile here. So you went got out of school. I guess you went to you did some was it internships or you worked directly with Santos and then Yeah, mix.
1: Then went to Exxon? Yeah, I did did a bit of exposure in, in both just to get a, a feel around. Part of that was internships and part of that was working part time while I was studying. Um and then um uh, once I graduated made made the call that I'd I was um made the call to spend spend a year or six months working on working on sort of Endler, what was just sort of concept at, at that time. And we landed, um, a big contract with a, a big public company here, origin energy. And that was sort of like, the, okay, well this can be a real thing. We're solving a real problem here, We're building tech that a massive company has sort of gone, we need this. Um, and that was sort of like the green flag to go all in and, um, Give it a real shot at, at at building the kind of company that I've um, envisioned.
0: So, well, hold on there. There's another nugget yeah, in. There. Hold on now, cowboy. <laughs> so you you were in university with the vision for Endless. So you know, working for the these oil companies was really just a means to an end. You you no, always had that the, goal the, of the, Endless, or
2: no? He wanted to do the not best not. employee that's ever lived. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> I, I think the 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 realization that there was a need for someone to build this company came as a result of working in the space and realizing the shortcomings that existed but having been exposed to the software world and realizing like how it can be like it's quite easy to sort of not realize that there's this potential for the software to take a huge step forward from where it's at if that's all you've ever been exposed to but because i was across different areas I. I got to see like what it could be, and be able to imagine like how we could better solve a lot of the things we're working on. So Tim, I almost
2: wish like, that you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: We've got a We've got a. We've got a couple second delay. It's not uh, instantaneous. <laughs> oh no! I. It's I didn't all right. The, we can always chop this
2: part out. We can always chop this part out too if we have to. So I'll stop talking. <laughs>
1: We didn't ha- I didn't have the vision right at the start. It, was, it, 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 came, it came to be as a result of kind of like observing the problems and observing the shortcomings of existing stuff.
0: Fantastic. So I want to talk a little
2: bit more about Enla. So full disclosure, Enla is a Funk Futures client. We have a number of clients. Enla is unique in a number of different ways. That said, I think that it's a a very interesting time for Enla because their growth path, Tim, realistically, is in the U.S. But these guys can't leave Australia. We we can. Right? So we always ask the question. Yeah, I mean, it's... Right. So we always ask this question, like, how has COVID affected your business? You've never lived in a non-COVID business world. So, so I'm really curious from your standpoint, how have you navigated that? And even going through Y Combinator, um, doing things in a remote world that are that are somewhat unheard of in oil and gas. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Oh, I mean, I actually think it's really good that we've begun as a remote first company and we're really getting to see that it is possible to do business in an entirely remote way because it means like from the from the very earliest stage of the company we can work across multiple time zones we can have the best engineers working with us regardless of what country or city or place on earth they're sitting in and we can work with companies across the world no matter sort of where they are. And I think if we were in a world where we had to be sitting in the same room to do business, that would, that would limit our growth more because how can you be in multiple countries working with multiple clients all at the same time? How can you, if you're restricting yourself to hiring people from the same city, like how do you hire the, the, the those awesome software developers who are not just great at developing software, but also understand first principles physics and and are really good at working with maths and then can also get their heads around the domain knowledge required to build uh really deep tech in in the oil and gas space so i think by saying you've got to work in a in a physical world or a non curved world where you've got to deal face to face would actually in many ways be far worse than being thrust from the beginning into being like forced into being remote because it's not something that you would have tried before. You wouldn't have gone, yep, let's just go remote and see how it goes. Whereas we got to start that way and realized that it has so many benefits. It kind of sucks that I can't go over there and give you a good uh, hug, Jeremy, but um, I can uh, look soon at your enough face on a camera instead. <laughs>
2: Go ahead, Tim.
0: Yeah, that being said, you know, there's still I'm gonna play the old guy because I am the old guy in this one. There's still some clearly benefit to be able to shake hands and and sit across and put your hands on a well or something. So there's still some benefit to it. So how how are you tackling the disadvantages of being remote as your uh you know basically trying to, you're targeting clients, right? So what is, what are those, how are you tackling that disadvantage of not being able to be present uh, and being remote?
1: So we don't work in the physical asset space. So we're not providing physical services. So that's helpful. Otherwise we'd be screwed, I think. <laughs> um. Yep. And I think building relationship over a camera is like really difficult slash maybe not even possible and so it means like more so than ever the tech that we're providing has to stand on its own two feet like it has to just be so good that there doesn't need to be a relationship it doesn't need to be that these guys buy me a sweet lunch on a friday and they take us for drinks every every fortnight and Wine and dine us because we can't do that. We have to just deliver software that's so bloody good that they get a bonus and they can wine and dine themselves with a nice steak dinner on a when that sweet check comes into their account.
2: First Fortnite reference ever on this podcast. I
0: was getting ready ready to play the American. What's a Fortnite?
2: No, but also it's a very popular video game and nobody's mentioned it regarding that. On this podcast, either. So, first time mentioned Fortnite in in the true sense of the word Fortnite. Oh, I didn't. So, I didn't so this Fortnite, is, is this the is. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Tim, this is yeah. I know. I think you meant two weeks, mate. Yeah.
1: Done little, is not so, a, Tim, a I, lingo.
2: No, <laughs> I, think, I think it's uh, non-American or British. I it's like old British or something like that. Okay, I was an English major <laughs> <in> college. <laughs> No, I wasn't. That's not true at all. So uh, Tim, I, I'm, so so. this to me is, I love it, right? So you are more than double Riley's age, right? He's more in line with the age of your daughters, as a matter of fact, maybe the same age as one of your daughters.
0: Yeah. My and oldest th- daughter is in fact, the same age as, as Riley. As really,
2: so the mindset that he just mentioned is, it's exactly the mindset I would have if I was 24 also, because you look at the companies that have taken over the world, like Facebook didn't have to wine and dine people to use their product, right? People just eventually started using their product and Instagram and coming to them, which is the same thing that happens truly with all of the best tech companies. What's different in terms of oil and gas is it's been such an in-person industry for so long. And of course, on the physical asset side, yes, you're never going to be able to just like have a have a robot sit what in the back seat the, of a of a car where it drops the robot off. And, can
0: have
2: yeah, but but no, I mean, I, let's <laughs> see. You know, I'm I'm here for it. I'm going to be here for it. But oil and gas traditionally, I think, has been as much business done in person as as any other other industry, uh, which is probably the same in Australia too, right? Uh, it, I would just guess that sort of permeates. Um, have you done business with your clients face-to-face or has it all been remote to this point?
1: Yeah, of course, face-to-face. Like It's great fun to go and just have a yarn, have a coffee, have a beer. Um, but a lot of stuff we've also just done remote because like, a lot of our clients have, have decided that, well, if I don't need to be in the office, it, the beach is a pretty nice place to live. And so we're actually seeing here <laughs> that it's not just us that's going remote. It's actually the clients that are realizing we're already running remote operations. Like, why, why do we have to actually be in the city, in the CBD? We can come into the CBD for our key meetings uh, two days a week and, and work from home remotely the other three. And so I think um, the, I fre- the frequency of that, despite the fact that lockdowns have ended, Has uh, somewhat sort of uh, it's it's moved to that being like very much a a normal way of doing business now because I think in many ways it's more productive and you get to concentrate that in person interaction on the days that are that are sort of required and be super productive in a in a quieter environment on on those other days.
0: It's interesting how. It, I was, uh, we did the first remote experiment for me was, you know, started in 2000 and it's interesting in 2000 to 2008, when I was working out of my house remotely, we actively, the company I work for Spotfire, we actively tried to hide that we were working out of our homes. We didn't want people to know that we were working remotely. So we put, you know, we had various techniques to make it look like we were together or sound like we were together and and things like that. Because you know our clients just simply didn't respect. Yeah, you didn't quite. Pre-COVID, working from home didn't. It have was the a, same. Yeah, yeah. We were blessed. And now, and now this morning I had a call with a client, and his little schnauzer wanted in the picture, <laughs> and it's now perfectly acceptable for everybody on the call that yeah, okay, that's we ex- we expect to see those kinds of things but
1: well, it's it's not even it's acceptable. just interesting how far we've come yeah it's like it's even yeah. that some of the best companies in the world are are really pushing the, the work from home because it's it's a well it, it's better in many ways but it also means you get to access talent that you couldn't have otherwise accessed
0: and i think yeah. the talent the employees are really looking for the ability to be at home and remove the one hour commute or whatever else shift for their own quality of life. So if employers are going to have, are having to offer, of course, these benefits to allow them to, you know, work from home and retain the talent.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I do. Let's, not- let's
0: get a little bit specific. I, I want to get a little bit specific with Endless. So you have a vision in mind and a particular set of problems that you're trying to solve. You know, I want to be, do, there's got to be a better way type mentality. So what is the specific approach that Enla has or the things that you're trying to solve uh, with your approach to technology? What are those, what are, what's the meat of the company trying to solve?
1: So, so we're really focused on, on the workflows right now, which are around deep analysis or actual design work. So imagine you're, um, trying to come up with a design for, for a well, and you've got some simulation software you can use to help sort of test your potential design and see how it might go. But as an engineer, I've got to sit in the software and actually put in and come up with that design that I think is worthwhile simulating myself. I've got to enter all that data in and then I've got to go, okay, run the run the simulation and I get some results back and then I'm going to change a few things or maybe move something around, do it again. And that's like really time consuming and slow and I'm, I'm going to give up and I'm not going to find the best solution. And I'm also going to spend a heap of time just stuffing around entering data and, and changing um, constraints and variables. But why should the engineer have to do that stuff. Computers are way better at solving well-defined problems uh, than, than we are. And so why not define the problem well, and then the, utilize the immense and very cheap cloud compute there is to, to paralyze that problem on a massive scale, send out all these little workers to work on subsets of that problem, and then bring back an answer in a matter of minutes that's way better than what you could have come up with an engineer on your own, but also done way, way faster. And so that's what we've done in um, the, the space with our existing customers in, in the CSG. So we've, we've gone and automated that process of coming up with the final well design. So we, we do that in a matter of minutes, what would normally have taken two f- to four hours and the designs we come up with are way better. Um, than what the engineers were coming up with before.
0: So is this drilling and completion design ty- we, type of, uh, that's yeah, the well, end
1: result? We're very early stage still. So we're just working, we've entered in on the niche, which is the actual completion itself. So, and now we've really nailed that niche. We can apply that sort of, the, the really challenging part is how do you effectively solve that problem in the cloud? We can we that's our core tech, and we can apply that to many other problems. And so that's what we're doing now. We're expanding from our niche and working across other domains. Um, and that's where it's like really exciting in the US because that can be the that can be another domain. Like every well type is a bit different, and uh, you get to work with a customer to to sort of implement that new tech in a in a new well type and sort of take this big step change versus what's currently being done. Um, and that's uh,
2: let's that's let's drill cool. a little bit deeper. Let let's drill a little bit deeper. It is very cool, and, and no, I know it's I really stage- yeah. Well, let's complete the conversation and drill a little bit deeper.
1: There you go. You're waiting for us to go. That's <laughs> a that's a good pun.
2: But you know, <laughs> early on, my wife does that all the time too. Like if I say something that I think is kind of funny, and there's no reaction, I just repeat it. She's like. No, I I didn't laugh because it's not funny. Not like that's not inviting you to say it again because it was funny. That's not that's not how things work. We didn't miss what you Um, said. But so so let me let me get like a a more concrete example. Right. So you you find a company in really anywhere in the world that has a drilling program of say call it fifty wells. Right. And for all of their new drilling completes, there's somebody that's creating what looks like the optimal completion design, and that is a herculean task to pull the data together and allow people to actually do analysis and pick the best possible completion design what you've taken is the auto design the auto completion capability to basically say this is your most likely uh, your your most likely best outcome we think is right here and this is what you should do and then boom right is that sort yeah. of the the concept yeah. so streamlining like- a process that's very brute force right now
1: and like also like uh to a level providing transparency too right because your your dnc team is their objective is to reduce costs like put put the thing in the ground as cheap as it can Th- their bonuses aren't linked to how much gas is coming out of this well in 2 years time their bonuses aren't linked to how much is it costing us to operate this well in 2 years time but there are other teams that do care about those things, but those conflict with the drilling costs. And so whoever's, <laughs> whoever's the owner of actually deciding what goes in the ground at the end of the day kind of has like this overwhelming control and not necessarily any transparency on what trade-offs were being made on, on the decisions when that was going in the ground. So that's also something that we kind of are helping with, where it's, sure, you can go for the very cheapest option, but just be aware, like there were these other options here too. And it's really powerful with like cycling oil and gas prices too, which I kind of think are going to become more extreme in terms of the cycles where you can, those trade-offs you want to make are not always going to be the same. Like when prices are not great, you just want to reduce costs as much as you can. But if you're in a phase of the cycle sure. where it's like crazy prices, you, you want to optimize the way you're drilling to, to get extra gas and if that means spending a little more capital that's probably worthwhile
0: very cool Yeah, it's fascinating i was uh, up on the end website you know spinning your 3d image around which is really cool well i mean it's for <laughs> it's being uh, it, it it was really cool i mean it was really a neat looking thing and it really i, I thought at least it was kind of very intuitive at least for me to be able to spin it around but uh let's go a little lighter side so
1: endla um what how would you come up with that name what does that mean Yeah, well, when i when when we originally started it was um myself and and cornelius and his uh got south african heritage and uh one of the native languages in, in south africa is this Honga and uh endla in that language means make build create and uh seemed pretty fitting mm. it's oh. a, yeah it's like great meaning behind it and sounds good, easy to say, and the domain was available, so it's pretty uh kind of ticks all the right boxes uh so that's that's why we went with it that's 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 the,
0: one of the better name stories that can come that that are out there that's very good
2: it's the end of the world as we know it.
1: Not quite
2: the intended view. Uh, <laughs> y Combinator. I want to talk a little bit about Y Combinator. So, Tim, you mentioned early on you have not heard about this. Um, Riley, give us just a very quick snippet on what Y Combinator is, why you guys went into the program, um, and, and what the significance is. And let me just preface it by saying I think there's only four or five companies in the history, history of Australia that, that have gone through it. But
1: it's, Riley, it's give hard. us the
2: quick Y Combinator uh, spiel.
1: It's harder to get into Y Combinator than it is to get into Harvard or, or any of those top tier unis in, in the US. Much harder, actually. Um, wow. But Y Combinator is one of the most renowned, or the most renowned startup accelerator in the world. They backed companies that you've certainly heard of, um, Airbnb. So they were the first investor in uh, in companies like that. Backed them right when they were just two people um, starting out the company. Same same as DoorDash.
2: Yeah. DoorDash,
1: Reddit. Coinbase, Instacart, um, whole bunch wow, of yeah. industrial type companies in, in the biospace and other spaces shipping, so just um, incredible companies that have started out um, by going through that accelerator program.
0: So you guys got in into that program? Is that uh,
1: they find you, you find them? How does that work? Yeah, so we apply. We we put in an application. They liked liked this, uh, the sound and, and traction of what we'd been working on. We got an interview. Um, our interview actually ran over time, which is pretty unusual. And then a couple of hours later, you get the phone call from, in our case, Michael Siebel, who was uh, co-founder of Twitch, who you've probably also heard of, sure. Twitch TV. And uh, he was like, hey guys, you, you're in. And it's sort of like, Wow, nice that's, that's pretty sick so
0: how do, how do things change for you, the entrepreneur from yeah, you guys are in to before before you're in what actually happens in that world? is it i mean how do they help you kind of go at that point
1: yeah I, I, I mean I, the network is like really key piece to it, so they've got incredible. Uh, resources that help you from a from a perspective of succeeding or avoiding like a lot of it's about avoiding mistakes. So they they've mm-hmm. seen a lot of startups. They know how you can fail. So they they are able to help you avoid those mistakes and provide some guidance on on how to succeed. And they also hook you into like an amazing network of of investors and also like incredibly good talent pool to hire from. Um, and that's been like a huge advantage, uh, for us as well. And in, in the tech space as a tech company, the reputation, like going through Y Combinator, um, gets you access, um, to, to that network that you otherwise you you don't really have. And so that was, that was pretty important for us.
2: Yeah. I mean, congratulations, first of all, um, Second, I believe that Endla is only the second ever oil and gas soft software specific company to have gone through Y Combinator. The other is Mineralsoft, which was eventually acquired by Inveris. So certainly a good track record there. But really, really neat. Um, and it's I'd heard of it before, just because you know it's sort of just out there. But because it's not in the direct you know oil and gas software world, there, I just don't know of as many companies. So super cool. Um, obviously, keeping the right kind of company there, and a great way to start, kind of start out of the gate. Uh, Tim, I'm curious from from your seat, right? You've you've always been an engineer, right? Do you what do you consider your expertise on the drilling and especially the completion side? Is that still sort of your sweet spot, or is it starting to to hedge outside of it?
0: Well, you know, I'm more production and reservoir than I am on completion, so I'm more the the client. Of the, the guy that uh, Riley referred to as, you know, the client of, the, we received the well after it's already been drilled and completed. But, you know, I fundamentally understand. I mean, we used to have a joke in the industry that the number one well-designed tool uh, or completion design tool was a Xerox machine. You know, hey, <laughs> what, what did we do in that well? Did it work? Okay, then we'll do it in this well. And, you know, okay, we're doing 28 stage frack what if we do 30 stage frac? So it, it, I think that that's probably more true still today than actually, you know, uh, I mean, we, we're applying science and we're learning sure. more all the time and we're experimenting, but yeah, if it works in this well, we're going to try it over there rather than really optimizing, I think truly optimizing, which is, I think what I'm hearing uh, from Riley here is that, you know, how, how do we truly optimize and Make the best decision for this well from now and twenty years from now, um, and I don't know if I've got that right, Riley. But I again, I, I think we do a lot of rule of thumb stuff still.
1: Yeah, well, um, decision we think making. Design, yeah, a lot of rule of thumb. Decision making in an uncertain environment is uh, tricky. Like the approach that you take in conventional, uh, when you're drilling hundred million dollar wells, is like very different. You've got to be pretty sure of what you're doing there. But when you're drilling hundreds <laughs> yeah, of wells, nope. it's like you, you you don't need to over design them. But there's also a lot of room for the right level of effort in designing each one uniquely too. And like you wanna you wanna have a factory operation but producing unique unique wells.
2: That's I love that. And I feel like I've tried to summarize that too. My good friend, Abe Shasha has been saying this for years, that oil and gas is heading into its manufacturing era, where we need to be able to uh, very quickly with minimal G&A and overhead and repeatedly uh, drill and complete and produce oil wells. But it's just been such a human and, you know, like a decision making made by individuals component that's going to eventually have to shift. And I think this is kind of ushering in that era. Uh, Tim, real quick, I want to bring something else up too that is, Riley, I'm not sure if you know this, but Tim actually was very early in the game bringing Spotfire to the oil and gas industry. So Tim was like kind of early in the analytics and visualization side of things. And I said to you the other day, I said, hey, do you have familiarity with, with Spotfire, oh, Riley? Yeah, and if so, of the shit um, I'm, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and if so, um, c- could you sort of replicate what you do in, in Endla in Spotfire? And I've, Tim, I've never seen somebody more offended by a question <laughs> in their life. But no, I am curious, you know, sort of like did you play around a little bit in Spotfire in the the motivation to do Enla, why not pick a platform like that? What made you decide to sort of use the the flat front end that you guys chose?
1: I've I'm extremely familiar with with Spotfire. I spent most of my time at Santos playing in in that in that software. Some of the stuff that we were putting together was pretty bloody cool. Given the restraints that, I mean, Spotify is not an engineering tool. It's like a business analytics tool that a lot of companies really have like forced into using as an engineering tool. And so like uh, just the level of complexity that was being added into scripting inside of it and interacting with other applications to get around some of the limitations of what could be done inside of Spotify was, um, it made you want to pull your hair out quite a bit um like some of the, but uh we built some really cool stuff in it like online performance monitoring of compressors using mm. um using in situ sensors so basically tracking the polytropic efficiency of that compressor over time to more smartly determine when maintenance should be done so we could see that the fuel the consumption of fuel was increasing um, and we could we could track that by the efficiency dropping and then make a really smart decision around when maintenance should be done because your fuel costs had increased above the point of the shutdown cost to do that maintenance cycle. But all, likewise, you could also make the decision to extend. Um, and so like that was all done in Spotfire, but that was a huge project to do inside of Spotfire. And was done could have been done way better outside of Spotfire. And that's and that's sort of um the barrier that was like as as much as you could really manage to do in Spotfire, whereas what we're doing you can't even do on a single computer. Where what, what we're <laughs> doing couldn't be done if it wasn't for utilizing cloud compute resources. Um, like we're spinning up thousands of um, parallel computers to to solve the problems, and uh, you can't do that in the Spotfire. Like just from a pure compute perspective. You can't draw on a lot of the existing, like one of the really cool things in the software space is how many open source projects there are. You don't have to build everything from scratch. You just take pieces that other people have already done and you add to it. And that's why we get like this rapid acceleration in in, in development because there's so much stuff to draw on. Whereas Spotify, you don't quite have that same ability. It's not as open. You can't like... Uh, can't do those things. It's really good for doing visualizations, taking data but if you need to do complex engineering calculation, um, it's, not, it's not the right tool for the job and uh, that's sort of where we are coming in and saying, okay, well, we can build the fit-for-purpose software when you need to do more complex stuff.
0: Yeah, and since, since Jeremy name dropped me you know, um, on Spotfire part, so it is interesting to see how I, I, and I, you said you were using it at Santos, but which is one of the first places that Laura Di, friend of the show, yeah, uh, nice I, we went down and actually were, we spent a lot of time trying to convince people at Santos, hey, you need, you need Spotfire. And we went from trying to sell them two licenses, and which was a major arm wrestling event in 2005 or so. Uh, to, you know, then they went and eventually adopted it, you know, some crazy number of licenses and it was kind of, it was, you know, full enterprise. So it's just, it's crazy how hard it was to convince them that they needed something. And now they're misapplying it and trying to make it more than do more More than than it probably ever should have done. So yeah. yeah, Anyway, long story there. So I know we're running short of time. Uh, you know, what is the vision beyond, are you, do you have a vision for just keeping Enla oil and gas? or are you looking to take it outside of oil and gas? I know you're also talking about coming to North America with it, and that's probably why Jeremy's involved, but what is the, what is the vision beyond two years from now with Enma?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So like we've talked a lot about completions, but that's kind of just the starting point for us. So next it's about we've helped put the well on the ground, but, there's a lot to be gained in operating that well better through its lifetime, as well as all the facilities surrounding it. And like, we've got experience building internal software in that space. And uh, we know there's a lot of, a lot left to be desired with how that's being done. And so that's next on, on, on our development um, in terms of where we're moving and all this core tech that we're building to solve these problems, which are essentially like design problems. You have a, You have a model or a physics sort of world that Mm -hmm. represents Mm -hmm. an approximation for what might be happening in the in the real world but you need Mm. and you need an efficient way of exploring and, and creating solutions in in that um uh in that software model and that's that's really the the key tech that we're building and so if we really succeed in what we're doing we successfully scale this out horizontally or through the vertical in oil and gas and then we've built it in such a way that we take it and we apply it to another, another vertical. And uh, we're pretty excited about bioprocess as, as the next vertical. Um, it has like really attractive attributes for replacing a lot of petrochemical pathways, like making plastics, um, food substitutes, mm-hmm. uh, wastewater processing, biogas, like bioethanol. There's all sorts of cool spaces there. And there's a lot of challenges in doing that in a large scale. Um, a lot of which we think is quite analogous to the type of software that's needed in oil and gas too.
0: Fantastic.
2: Well, this was, this was tons of fun, Riley. I definitely, I think sort of like a Don Burdick type thing, Tim, because this is so early stage. I'm kind of curious what everything looks like a year from now, because these guys are truly in their infancy as an organization um and and really curious to see kind of what they um what they're able to achieve and and accomplish but um,
0: definitely going to have to have an update you know in the not too distant future i think
2: in a year but you know tim as, as much as we like our aussies you know we we are patriots over here let's let's go patriots let's go pats kid seven in a row sorry that's, yeah, I just conflated a couple
0: things. Yeah, it's American football. Sorry, Riley. He can't no. he can't resist it. Go Pats.
1: It's good fun go watching go, watching those um highlights. So pretty impressive some pretty impressive plays that go down in, in that stuff. Yeah, well,
0: you know what? There's a lot of uh ex-footy players now up here,
1: you know, playing in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. So we've got a few talented athletes down here.
2: next week folks stay tuned for our update on australian rules football and jeremy's theories along with tim's on the nfl concussions until (laughs) next time